Hello, welcome to Murder and Mediumship. I'm your host, Catherine Ann, psychic medium, self-worth coach, and true crime addict. And Chelsea is back this week to co-host yet another episode. Hey, Chelsea. Hey. Before we get started, I just wanted to introduce a little bit of a new thing here. We are going to, Chelsea's basically going to tell me the story, and I'm going to pop in with my intuitive hits and other things that I learned about the case along the way. And we're just trying out new stuff. So please leave us some comments, send some messages, let us know what you think about this new format so we can either proceed this way or maybe backtrack and do things a little differently. Just kind of having some fun here, um, digging into true crime and the story that we're telling on this episode is a very recent case, which is also something you know I don't typically do. But again, this case, this all started right before Gabby Petito went missing and has not received too much attention overall. Um, so this person is younger. They are a person of color and they were really going places in their life. So this is a story that we wanted to cover to bring more awareness and more attention to how important it is to highlight people of color who are missing or murdered in the news because of how little coverage they get off the bat, which I feel like is starting to shift, but there has to be so much more done and so many more um, stories uplifted in the way that we've seen others done for white people, basically. So this is another case of a missing person of color, and Chelsea is going to take it away. All right, let's just jump into it, I guess. Daniel Cornelius Robinson was born January 14th, 1997 in Columbia, South Carolina, the fourth of five children to Melissa and David Robinson, he was born missing the lower portion of his right forearm, including his hand. But according to his family and close friends, he never let it hold him back. Daniel was known to be a talented musician, skilled in both the French horn and trombone. He was also an avid traveler and adventurer. Um, can I say, I know a lot of people who can't play a French horn or a trombone with two hands. Right? Like, obviously, he was very talented. If you look up his picture... He's like elbow down, missing his arm. And I saw the picture and it didn't really register. And then when I heard them, I heard someone else talking about, I think it was a podcast. It could have been a documentary or or a YouTube video at this point. I don't know. You know how quickly we lose track of the research. Mm. But um, when they talked about the fact that he was playing these instruments and he had one hand and he was super talented too. Just mind blown there. That's so incredible. He would remain in Columbia, South Carolina until graduating from AC Flora High School in 2014. After that, he would move just two hours away to Charleston for college, where he studied archaeology. Ever the overachiever and social butterfly, he joined Geology Club, a group called Leadershape, was a member of a fraternity, and a teaching assistant. When not at school, he could be found playing music around town with friends or at one of his two jobs. That's right, on top of all of his extracurricular college commitments. He also worked as a docent for the Mace Brown Museum of Natural History and as a circulation assistant at the Adelstone Library. He held both of these positions for three years before graduating in 2019 with a Bachelor of Applied Science with focus in geology and earth sciences. Before we really, before I knew anything about him at all, just looking at his picture, like not to be weird, but I mean, hey, so 
like looking at his picture is like, wow, that is a very attractive man. And then Yes, he's so cute. Right. And then when I found out how nerdy he was, like working in a library and a museum, and he was a scientist, like I am not one to like go goo goo over like big buff, crazy, like stacked men. It's the nerds that get me. And for anyone who has heard my husband on the show, you get it, right? But <laughs> he was <laughs> he's a good looking kid for sure. And I'm going to say kid very lightly because he's not quite 10 years younger than I am, but he's close enough for me to say kid. Being in Columbia was the farthest away from his family he had ever been. Like living. Charleston. Yeah. 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 He was very close with his family. Um, so after graduation, this avid traveler and adventurer would find himself moving cross country to Tucson, Arizona to take one final course. While there, he was offered his first job in his field of study with a company called Matrix New World out of Phoenix as a field hydrogeologist. That's a tongue twister. A hydrogeologist studies the way groundwater moves through the soil and rock of the earth. Daniel would live with one of his older sisters in Phoenix for a short time before obtaining his own apartment in Tempe, not far away. So this is where our story turns true crime. 24-year-old Daniel drove his blue 2017 Jeep Renegade up to a job site in Buckeye, Arizona, near Sun Valley Parkway and Cactus Road on June 23, 2021. He was set to analyze rock samples with a worker from another company. It's reported that Daniel drove off from the job site at around 9.15 a.m. that morning. And to this day, has not been seen since. According to the police report, the man Daniel was working with that day, Ken, claims that Daniel was acting strangely, staring off blankly in the distance and saying things that didn't quite make sense. After about 15 minutes of work, Ken reports that Daniel abruptly walked to his car, waved as if to say goodbye, and drove off, drove away south on the dirt road from the job site. This Ken guy... Number one, his dad, Daniel's father, has been very outspoken about this person who has kind of made it sound like he was a coworker of Daniel's. And I don't know if you came across this in your research, but he was actually someone who worked for a different company, I believe a drilling company. And he also mm -hmm. would be at that site like occasionally. He would check it out just the same as other coworkers of his would. And these two companies would frequently see each other there but they didn't actually work together. So his right. his interaction with Daniel prior to this morning was minimal, like at best minimal. He really didn't know him. So from what I understand, Daniel started, he was like staring off in the distance a lot, right? Like you had said, and he said something about how it was going to rain and he wanted to mm -hmm. close down the site. I'm assuming they wouldn't work if it was raining or something. So he wanted to close down the site and this Ken guy was like, no, the rain's going to pass by us. And then Daniel like basically got up and walked away a little bit later. And what I kind of get from this, I just want to like intuitively feel into this one a little bit. I really think that this is one of those where you have two people who are very, very different and there's really no interaction that is like comfortable. Do you know what I'm saying? It's right. I, yeah. I would equate it to the first time I ever went to 
like a function with my husband's family who's like really Southern Baptist conservative. And I just, I mean, come on, this is the show that I host. Right. That was like <laughs> a little I awkward. Feel like, yes. And I feel like it's that kind of interaction. Like there wasn't really like a friendliness. There wasn't like a clicking. And I really feel like Daniel was able to keep to himself if he didn't really have anything to say. And from what I understand too, and just from what you've said, but also from what his dad would speak on about him, Daniel was so smart. He was highly intelligent and he was very, very aware of how intelligent he was, not in like a condescending way or an I'm smarter than you are kind of way, but he was a smart guy. So I feel like this might have been the kind of thing where he just didn't have anything to talk to this guy about and there wasn't any room for conversation other than like elevator talk, right? When you're politely trapped in a small space with someone. Oh, for sure. Well, and the age gap between them two had to be kind of awkward because Daniel was very young for someone working in his field. He was definitely out of his element with this guy, I feel like. It it feels like there's like a weird tension here. Like, I don't like it. Mm -hmm, I agree. Okay. So, concerned by this behavior, Ken called Steve, Daniel's manager, and reported the incident. Ken would continue working while receiving updates from Steve throughout the day. At around 3 p.m., Ken was made aware that Daniel had still not been located, so he took it upon himself to go search for him, but had no luck. Okay. At this point- Is this not weird? Go ahead. That is weird. Unless he said something really freaking bizarre and then just left, this guy doesn't even work with Daniel, but he's calling the manager unless there's confusion here. And I'm confused, but from what I understand, this guy was not his coworker. So why is he getting this other person involved? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me at all. And this is, I mean, what, hours later that he didn't come back? Yeah. So I kind of talked to my husband a little bit about like his point of view on this because he works in construction and they often collaborate with other companies on job sites similar to this. And so what he said is like, sometimes guys just like, will get in their car and like drive off to like go to the bathroom or whatever. And then they'll come back like, you know, 15, Mm. 20 minutes, you know, man hours in the bathroom, like whatever, um, they take forever. Um, But so he was like, you know, maybe originally he wasn't concerned because he thought like maybe he was going to the bathroom and then he like didn't come back. And he was like, well, what the heck? Like we have a job to finish. Yeah, but he waved. And I think their jobs were very separate. Yeah, it seemed like they were. And then if you look at the area, like he could have gone to the relief himself anywhere. Like I'm assuming that's just what he did. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Unless he wasn't that type of guy. I, I really like this just doesn't sit right with me that someone who doesn't really know him and it wasn't unusual to be at the site alone either or with one or two other people there from each company so it seems to me if you wave and you get in your car and leave it just i feel like it would imply that you're leaving so it does definitely confuse me and if he had already expressed that he thought it was going to rain So maybe Mm -hmm. they should close down the site. In my mind, like maybe he, like, why wouldn't you assume, okay, it's going to get shut down. So, or Ken doesn't want to shut it down. So I'm just out. Like, I'm not doing what I need to do because it's going to rain and I don't want to get stuck in it. And then he left. Like, that would be what I would assume. And I also can't find if the direction he went into the desert was a way that he would normally go to like go home or was he just headed farther into the desert? I I didn't understand. Yeah, I'm not really sure. All I saw was that it says that he went south, like further. I think it seems like he went further into the desert, Mm -hmm. which is kind of odd as well. Okay. 
Okay. At this point, Daniel's emergency contact, his sister, is notified. She attempts to call Daniel with no response and alerts the rest of his family, who all attempt to do the same to no avail. Literally hours have gone by. They're already panicking over him. Like, doesn't that seem strange? Someone you don't even really know is like, oh, okay, we should get in touch with the manager and also the sister because this isn't okay. You don't even know him. It's definitely fishy. It's super fishy. I don't like it. Okay. I don't either. Um, So the family was made to wait 12 hours before they could officially put in a missing persons report. David, Daniel's father, did just that. He stayed up until 3 a.m. and reported his son missing right at the 12-hour mark. This is this is what I would like to say to that. Number one, 12 hours is a low minimum. I, I, it I love that 12 hours is the minimum there. However, Buckeye Police Department at that 12, they basically told David, you can't file a report until it's been 12 hours. And then when that 12th hour came, they said, we can't go look <laughs> it's for him. It's too late. Yeah, we can't go look for him until the sun comes up because it's too dangerous for our officers. I'm sorry. You couldn't have said that. In the first place, like, hey, you can report this at 3 a.m. when it's officially 12 hours because, you know, your dad concerned for your son who isn't just going to run off and do some like crazy drugs or something like he's clearly got a great track record of really having his shit Mm -hmm. together. And they don't even say like, hey, dude, we're not going to start looking until the morning anyway. So try to get some sleep, you know? No, they make it sound like, okay, in 12 hours, we'll take the report. They take the report and they don't do anything about it. And this is the classic BS that we see with missing persons of color. Because Gabby was missing and boom, the entire world. Oh, yeah. Red alert. For sure. Yes, exactly. Like amped up to go find them. And and in this case, Mm -hmm. nothing was happening. So something taken so seriously that within hours they were concerned for his well-being. But then no one's doing anything about it. It just – it doesn't sit right with me. And the fact that Buckeye Police Department – was so just rude. Nonchalant, Nonchalant and rude, yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Tell us more about David. Okay. That's not all. David, an Army veteran, set out on the mission of his life. He left Columbia, South Carolina, and headed for Arizona right away to begin his own search for his son. The family hired their own private investigator, and to this day, David Robinson still lives in a hotel in Arizona. He organizes searches almost weekly in the community, runs a website, www.pleasehelpfinddaniel.com, and has pledged a $10,000 reward to anyone with information on his son's whereabouts. Yeah, and this guy's not just like regular Joe Schmo army veteran. Like he did, I want to say he retired from the army and did multiple Mm -hmm. tours overseas in the desert. So he was, oh, yeah. He's, like, legit. He was exactly. <laughs> and he's super organized. Yeah, right? <laughs> Can I borrow him when when everything works right. out? Well, I mean, here? yeah. I mean, anyone listening to this podcast, like, if you check out the website, he is very active on it. He constantly updates it. And I, there's, like, a petition you can sign. There's links for his GoFundMe. There, there's yeah, so much the information. Mm-hmm. Yes, go sign, go the, sign petition. the petition and go donate if you can, whatever you can to the GoFundMe because he's doing all of this on his own. He's literally burning through his retirement as a as a war veteran to find his son that is that has been missing that police did not put due diligence into looking for in the first place. I mean, they're so concerned for their officers that they can't send anyone out there, but they're showing little to no concern for this person. Okay, 
So if you all recall, last week I brought up a program called Showing Up for Your Self-Worth. Previously, this program has been for really just kind of any woman who is looking to really learn what self-love and self-care really means versus like, hey girl, go throw on a face mask, dye your hair, get your nails done, and that's how you love you. This is more for this 2.0 is for the intuitive who is just beginning to step out as an entrepreneur in their spiritual work. For the intuitive who has already begun their journey in entrepreneurship and something's just not working out right. And also for the person who is ready to create the life of their dreams rather than living this standard status quo. The shift begins with how you show up for yourself and with how you value yourself and just how you honor your journey along the way. You can have the life you desire, even if it seems illogical and out of reach. And I know this because I'm living this. Four years ago, almost to the month, I was filing bankruptcy and trying to figure out how the hell I was going to make ends me and which bill I was going to pay first. It was it was awful, honestly, but because of the energy I've put behind the work that I do and the faith that I had in growing this business, I'm able to continue doing what I do and I know that all of you have that in you. So this is a 12-week program with 12 live coaching calls and two one-on-one sessions for added support. Plenty of self-care practices that are all conscious of time. As I have three small children, I totally understand what limited time is in taking care of yourself. And then texting access for the duration of the program, lifetime access to all content. This is absolutely something that I would at least check into if you were even thinking about starting your own intuitive business and you want to hit the ground running in a really powerful way, go ahead and click apply in the show notes or head to my Instagram and apply from the little beacons link there. And you know what, Chelsea, I am going to kick it back to you. While I despise when missing persons reports are delayed due to asinine rules regarding time frame, I will say after reading over the 53-page police report, the officer didn't skimp when it came to interviewing family and friends regarding Daniel's behavior leading up to his disappearance. According to David, Daniel's father, and numerous friends, Daniel had been mentioning a girl he believed he was in love with named Caitlin. They all found it odd, however, that he didn't seem to know much about her. With help from the family and after doing some digging, the officer was able to locate Caitlin's information. It turns out Daniel was working for Instacart, the grocery delivery service, on the side and had made an alcohol delivery to Caitlin and one of her friends on June 12th, 2021. May I say if you are someone who doesn't live in a state where Instacart delivers from Total Wine or a store like that, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I know. It's freaking gold, man. It's a really beautiful thing. Um, but this, back to the police, I would like to point out here, I completely agree with you that they were doing their due diligence and tracking people down and all of that. And you also have to remember that the officer who took the initial report is more than likely not the one who was boots on the ground heading out to find and track down people and do interviews. And again, this is a very new case. We do not know what they know that hasn't been released to the public or even to maybe his father. So it's it's safe to say that we never have all of the answers and the general public doesn't need to know everything that's going on as far as I'm concerned. But I do feel like, I mean, Chelsea's right. That's if you read the police report, because it is so long, there's it's thorough. 
Um, well, and actually there's a lot of redacted information in that as well. So I'm very curious what they're not telling the public. Let's find out. Yes. Let's see what, what Catherine has to say. Um, so Caitlin thought he seemed nice and invited him in to hang out. Red flag. Um, according to Caitlin, a few days later, Daniel sent her a text that he had left something at her house and she replied that he could come, he could come by whenever to get it. So do you know what he left there? Like a canopy or yeah, something? The, like the top to his Jeep, basically. Oh, like that's my understanding of it, at least. That's like, a weird thing to leave at Jeep someone's canopy. House. And I didn't, you know, I should have looked this up, like what that actually looked like. But I am going to do it right now. I'm Jeep Renegade Canopy. Okay. It looks to me like it's like a tent that goes over your Jeep. Interesting. Why would you do that? Like why? Yeah. What was the purpose of getting what? Like I mean, why would you leave that at someone's house? Leave a keychain or something. I get but a whole canopy, like it looks pretty big unless I'm not understanding, but it literally looks like something you would put over your vehicle, like it, like a traveling carport, basically. Okay. Anyway, because that is okay. very, very well, strange. I agree with you. Well, the next day he requested directions to her house and she didn't reply because she was out of town. By the way, this entire text thread could be read in the police report linked on the Patreon page, but I am just going to give you the important parts. Because it is long. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, Caitlin doesn't reply, but somehow Daniel must have remembered how to get there as she saw him on her camera. She texted him, letting him know she saw him and that she'd be home the next day for him to pick his canopy up. Daniel had already picked up the canopy, but responded with a red heart emoji to which Caitlin replied, please stop showing up and unannounced. Okay. <laughs> Number one rule, ladies, gentlemen. Don't invite the Instacart driver inside. Right? I feel like that seems like that would be common sense, but alcohol was involved. So. And when you're young, you don't think anything can happen to you. And I mean, I say that I'm 32, you guys. I'm not ancient, but I'm definitely somebody's mama at this point. <laughs> Get it. Yeah. But I've also met enough <laughs> creepy men in my lifetime to know you don't do that. Um, alcohol, who knows though? Maybe that was like the second round he was delivering. I don't know. But I, I really well, feel like and I think I mean like he's a beautiful guy. Like he's super cute. He's like a tiny guy. He's not very tall, only about 165 pounds, and he's missing part of an arm. So she was probably like, you know, he seems pretty harmless. Um, you know, alcohol was involved. I'll mention that again. <laughs> so Yeah. Uh, maybe she's really into the nerdy types too, but I will, I will definitely say under no circumstances should you ever invite the Instacart driver no. inside. Always the bad idea. Right. And, and not only that, but why did he already know how to get to her house when he didn't, maybe he was, Ooh, maybe he was trying not to sound creepy by asking for directions. Maybe, or maybe, I don't know if there's like maybe a way that they can go into their Instacart like past deliveries and get the address. I don't, I don't know. I hope not. I think it's weird. Because then I'm skeeved out. Yeah, I know. Same. I'm, I'm going to try not to think too much into it. We're just going to say he was trying not to be creepy. I live on DoorDash, so. Just <laughs> same. Wait, right? <laughs> Thank God for ring cameras. Right. So he continues to text her throughout the next few days saying things like, I couldn't stop thinking about you and asking to hang out. He even shows up at Caitlin's home again while she isn't there. And she firmly but politely explains that she doesn't appreciate his unannounced visits and doesn't want to hang out with him anymore. 
Um, like she was so nice about it. They were so polite, weren't they? Yes. I'm like, I would have been losing my crap on this kid. I would have been like, F off. You're freaking me out. Mm -hmm. But she was very polite. Yeah. So two days before his disappearance, Daniel texts, do you hate me? To which Caitlin replies, I don't hate you, but please leave me alone. So nice. Um, The last text Caitlin ever received from Daniel was the day before his disappearance at 3.07 PM. And it reads, the world can get better, but I'll have to take all the time I can or we can whatever to name it. I'll either see you again or never see you again. Dun, dun, dun. Like, what does that even mean? Um, (laughs) um, So then it's kind of crickets for a while. Almost a month goes by with no progress made on the case. And then on July 19th, 2021, a local rancher in Buckeye contacted police to report that he had located a wrecked and deserted Jeep renegade on his property. According to the police report, they confirmed that it was, in fact, Daniel's vehicle. I am so sorry to cut you off, but wasn't it only like four miles away? Yeah, I don't. it wasn't far from the crash site. And I know that they had done like aerial like surveillance from and had even site. like done like foot searches. Yeah. yeah so how would they um, not have seen it? So I guess like the area it was found in, there was some brush that was like similar in color to the Jeep I read on like one report. So they're saying like maybe from the air, it would have like blended in i'm also thinking maybe the search was not that diligent (laughs) or maybe it wasn't there yeah or that um that's that's a good possibility catherine (laughs) it's chelsea's like no spoilers i'm just i'm you know no spoilers ma'am let me get there The car was significantly damaged. It appeared to have had front impact with the dirt and rolled before resting on the passenger side. The driver's window was shattered and there was glass present. All the airbags had been deployed, but there was no blood at the scene. Perhaps most strange, though, is that they found numerous clothing and personal items just outside of the vehicle. Inside-out jeans, work boots, a t-shirt, and two inside-out socks, his wallet, work computer, apartment keys, etc., It was as if Daniel just disrobed and walked off, though no tracks were found, presumably due to the recent rains. Okay. The inside out kind of throws me because I'm thinking about like my kids are six, almost five and like one and a half. Right. So when I take their shirts off over the top of their head, I make them inside out. It makes my husband crazy. So when you do that, though, when you're taking your pants off, if they're inside out, I almost feel like. I kind of get dressed and undressed haphazardly, so I'm never a good like one to look to for a standard of existence because I'm like a bull in a china shop with everything I do. But my husband, I've never seen him take his pants off and leave them inside out or or take like even his socks off and leave them inside out. I mean, he's his own creature for sure, but I just I feel like all of that stuff inside out almost feels to me as if someone undressed him. I would have to agree with that because I will say when I undress my children, same, like I will like inside out everything. But when I undress myself, 
right side uh, in. Nothing is inside out. Unless yeah, you exactly. Get, like a leg, if it's like especially tight jeans, it might like snag, but then right. you're going to fix it. Or like your shirt sleeve might get pulled in, but then you're going to fix it. I mm-hmm. My socks are always inside out, but that doesn't count. I mean, anyway, it just no. feels weird to me. It feels weird. And also Same. there's discrepancies over the broken glass too, because evidently the glass was like consistent with that from like a different vehicle almost. Like it didn't make sense. Yeah, almost like a sunroof or something. Right, but then I think, they didn't have a sunroof. Right, because it was the canopy top. No, the canopy's separate. The canopy's like oh, a standalone tent. Okay, yeah, that's what I just looked up. But um, it didn't oh. have a sunroof, from what I understand. I think it had like canvas on it or whatever. I'm not positive, but. I don't think his hmm. vehicle had a sunroof. And if that is the case, so don't quote us on that, then where would this glass have come from? Because it is different glass than like the windows, isn't it? I think. I have no idea. I have a sunroof, but I don't know if it's different glass. Never really stopped to examine it, right? No. <laughs> um, well, crash data taken from the vehicle confirms that the seatbelt was buckled at the time of the crash and that the engine was cycled 44 times after the crash. Um, that means someone tried to crank the engine 44 times after that crash. That's like that, literally that's like weird. key in the ignition, trying to turn it on. Mm-hmm, okay. Trying to crank it. Um, so who the heck does that? The police ultimately ruled out foul play, which really irritated the Robinson family's hired investigator. He believed there was much more to the story and decided to dig deeper. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't even know that vehicles had black boxes like airplanes do. Did you know that? Me either, but it's super cool. No, I learned that from this story and I'm like, thank God, because that's very fascinating. Right. I had no idea. And also very good to know, just in case you're ever planning something shady. I had to ask my husband what cycling the engine meant. So I'm fairly certain that he wasn't in this vehicle when it was left in the desert, though. Everything feels to me, and again, this is my intuition speaking, I realize I didn't make that disclaimer at the beginning of this episode. So if you are hearing what I am saying, this is Catherine speaking. We're here talking what I am seeing and feeling intuitively. It's not necessarily any fact. It's not me putting actually like, um, Chelsea, what is the word I'm looking for here? Accusations. I'm not, there you go. I'm not accusing anyone. What it feels like to me though is that this was very staged. The vehicle was staged, and I feel like the clothing was staged, and it was done haphazardly, but I it it feels personal without being personal. Like I, And I'll get into that as we get to the very end, which I know we're very close to, but I really, really feel like nothing – like the, the vehicle is a decoy. The vehicle was a decoy. I don't think it was there during the initial searches. I think it got left there. And I really, really think that whoever was involved ditched just close there too. So you are not alone in that thinking. Private investigator Jeff McGrath doesn't believe that Daniel was in his vehicle either. According to his review of the crash data, the vehicle had 11 additional miles on it after the airbags had been deployed and also had 46 additional ignition cycles on it after the airbags had deployed. What is an ignition cycle? So that's when like the engine turns over like when you try to turn the engine over um so he also observed red paint that had transferred onto the jeep's right side indicating that while the desert may have been the vehicle's final resting place it was likely not where the crash had occurred and there was no as there was no red painted objects nearby yeah so that's kind of where it ends right 
Mm-hmm. And again, this is because we are doing a case that is so new. And so it's not new. I mean, this has been since June of 2021. We're coming up on, I say coming up, I realize it's only February, but just this year is going so fast. Um, it's a it's a rolling girl. Yeah, it is. And I feel like nothing about this is going fast, but I do think that that private investigator has more information than we obviously know about right now. Um, essentially, what I feel like happened, and I have notes here, Chelsea, you can see these, are written on a napkin. Oh, <laughs> they really are on a napkin, guys. They really are on a napkin. So I had all of my notes written down on in my notebook. I call it my murder book. It makes my husband very uncomfortable and is literally the only reason why I still call it that. But I had notes written down and then Every once in a while, or frequently, actually, I call another intuitive friend, and there's a good three to four that I bounce between of what I'm seeing. I'll write down my notes and then contact one of them. And my friend Ricardo, who I'll link his TikTok and his Instagram and everything in the show notes too, we both saw a lot of very similar things. So the first thing that he picked up on, I thought was so funny, was a hand injury, which I think was really him seeing like the lack of a hand, right? Which, I mean... The way that you see and interpret things, it's so interesting because it has to come from a place of where you already have an understanding of things too. So there was something, he said the same thing. He said the vehicle's a decoy. And I was like, absolutely, I agree with you there. We don't believe he was driving. I think he was abducted. I think he knows who abducted him, which is fairly common anyway, but I think he knows the person. And we were hearing something around like, calling his mom, calling his mom, which is kind of sad because the way that his dad talks about it is that like he's basically, he was on, um, what was it? Dr. Oz talking about how his wife is just doing the best she can. And, and that's just what it is. Like he doesn't know how to answer that question of how she's doing. But anyway, um, he was seeing more of like a heavy set white guy, I was feeling like a real rednecky kind of vibe on what the guy would look like. But it could also be, if you've had a reading with me, you know that I say someone's physical size in a reading, the way that I see their size can be like they had a very large personality, not that they were a very large person, but I just get like this like dirty, sweaty t-shirt vibe with like someone with like scruff on their face and I don't know, would kick back with a Miller High Life, not hating at the end of the day or, or something like that. Like he just, he feels really like drives a big truck is kind of a huge piece of shit. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. I think it was someone who worked for the other company though. I do. And I'm trying really hard not to go down any conspiracy rabbit holes or anything, but I feel number one, that there was a lot more racism in that area than he was expecting there to be, especially when he's yeah. coming in and he's so educated and he's so articulate and um, it, like, he's doing so well for himself at this job. I think that it intimidated a lot of people. And I also feel like something within this like contracting area, there's someone connected to it who had like a vested interest in, in the drilling in that area. And there's, there's something with more money. There's like dirty money in this, like the work that Daniel was doing was finding more information about this water flow and about like, whatever the effect of of pollution and and I don't even know where I'm trying to go exactly with this but he was finding stuff that was going to negatively affect 
someone in charge of this other business who I believe Mm -hmm. had some sort of vested interest in like a building site that wasn't even necessarily nearby, but it was kind of hinged on this. It's the profitability of it all. There's some sort of, there's profitability involved. And I also feel like this is something where his vehicle went one place, his body went a completely different place. Like if he's even in state anymore, I feel like he's somewhere where there's more greenery, there's more, not mountains, but more trees. And that's not like Arizona. It, it feels to me mm-hmm. like they took him far, far away. Um, I do think too that they, I, I don't think that they're going to find him. I don't. And I, it breaks my heart to say, but I just don't think that they will. I, I think that they're looking in the wrong place. I don't think he's in the desert. I just don't think he is. I think that that truck was planted there. There's got to be at least two to three people involved as well. And I think someone knows something. Whether or not they find his body, someone's going to get in some sort of trouble for this. It just doesn't feel like a full-on conviction. There's no information left. Even with the rain having washed away stuff prior to, it had already been a month. Even without the rain, just wind and like natural... Naturally occurring stuff with time passing would have erased a lot of that evidence. Um, I hope that I'm wrong about them not finding who did it, but I, I don't think they're going to find him alive. And his his dad has even said that, that it's just unrealistic to think that he's alive anymore. And I can't imagine coming to terms with that logical idea around this, especially with being your your son like that. But I, I just, I can't imagine that he's alive. I intuitively don't feel like he is. And I also feel like there, there was kind of just like this jealousy and this overwhelming sense of like, he was bullied, like he was being picked on and bullied by these people in a way that he wasn't in his other communities prior to, if that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like he was definitely um, minority in that field in many aspects, like age, race, education. Why? Like, I just, I feel like he was like the odd man out for sure. Yeah, I would agree. Do you have any questions that you want me to feel into at all before we wrap or what do you think? Do you think that like Caitlin had anything to do with it or anybody related to Caitlin had anything to do with it? I really don't. I think it's a coincidence. It's and coincidences exist. Sorry, other intuitives, don't get me for that one. They do, but it can be. <laughs> I, I really think that was just it happened to be happening in congruence with this. You know, it yeah. feels really like malicious. It feels very mean spirited and like just flat out evil. Like not, I don't want to say evil and like John Wayne Gacy type of evil, but it, it's like, mm-hmm. it was senseless. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you feel like it was more racially charged or was it truthfully that he like knew something he shouldn't know? I think it was more racially charged. I do. I think it was more racially charged. I do think that he would have made, he would have moved mountains and not a, not a rock joke intended there at all. But um, (laughs) I think he would have really made some huge headway and could have made some real, real dents in, in his field, essentially. I'm starting to mm-hmm. stutter over my words too now, but he I, I really think that he singled himself out for how smart he was and how well he was doing and how 
just excited for his position and everything he was. And this person just didn't like it. It's like flicking a fly off the wall that you don't want to see there. He was insignificant to him. And I think largely because of his color. And I think that he went Mm -hmm. immediately to the sister knowing full well that he had to cover his tracks. Yeah. Something tells me that that's going to come back to bite him. Oh, for sure. And I think too, that there's a lot that, and remember you guys, if like we're seeing something that we don't think we should share, we're not going to share it. And I've also asked not to be brought information that I shouldn't be brought. So this case, highlighting this case more than just giving intuitive hits on it is again, to show how alive racism is in this country and how the social structures and the police, um, the police departments, and, and it's just, it's not helping people of color in the way that it should be. So we're, we're raising voices that should be raised higher than they have been. And every voice that lends their own voice to this is only helping, in my opinion. Um, if that even made sense. So with that, you guys, um, I think that's all we have for you on this episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and go, go give us a little couple of stars, like five, preferably if you like, and an iTunes shout out so we can go on and shout you out on the show. And if you're interested in being part of the Patreon, all proceeds from Patreon will be being donated to various organizations throughout the duration of this year. We're going to make quarterly donations. So we're coming up on that first quarter pretty soon. And I would love to hear from y'all who you're interested in donating to and go to Daniel's webpage and and help his dad out in any way that you can. Okay. Um, y'all take care. Don't let the Instacart guy in and no, nope, don't do it. And uh, move to a state where Instacart delivers alcohol because it's a beautiful thing. And y'all have a wonderful day, evening, week, whatever it is that you desire. Thanks so much for listening.